Heavenly Father, sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. It exposes our hearts. It shows us like a mirror before us exactly who we are. At times that encourages us and continues us to, uh, to press on towards the goal. Uh, there are times where it exposes things that we need to bring before you. And we thank you that your grace is plentiful and free. Lord, we pray that we would hear your word as your word this morning. That you would withhold my lips from uh, saying anything that would be false, especially when we're looking at a chapter that speaks of the power uh, that the tongue has, especially amongst those who teach. So, Lord, we pray that, uh, that you would help us to speak words in accordance with your character, your will, and what you have given to us. And may your truth spread like a wildfire in those here and those who we come into contact with. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not going to ask as a question as such, but I guarantee that for the majority of people in this room... At some stage in your life, somebody has spoken something to you that was really hurtful and that the moment I say that, you can recall that in the very exact words of what they were. Apparently it's common thought amongst psychologists that are agreed on this, that we remember negative words and negative experiences better than we remember positive words or positive experiences. Now you might think, wow, Steve, that's what an encouraging note to, to get started on. But I say that as by way of a necessary preparation for the material that we're looking at this morning. As we've got a clear picture of the power that words have, that we now look to what God has to say. However, I do want to say this right from the outset. Do not make the mistake of thinking that this passage serves purely as a warning for words spoken for a bad purpose. Often people read this passage and they think this is only correcting us for bad words that we speak. When James uses three different analogies of the power of the tongue to affect large things, only one of those three has a negative and destructive effect. The general point is the power of words to direct a large group. Previously, as we've been working our way through James, we were told that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and particularly quick to listen and to hear the implanted word, and to be doers of that implanted word. And last week, as we looked at verses 14 to 26 of chapter 2, we were reminded that faith without works is dead. In other words, genuine saving faith will always be accompanied by good works. That yes, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but that faith does not stand alone. 
that God has made us a new creation for good works that he prepared in advance for us to walk in them. And of the many good works that he's prepared in advance for us that should be characteristic of his children are those who are control their tongues. It was said back in the opening chapter, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So today we're kind of expanding on why it's so important that we receive the implanted word but also why we are slow to speak. That we might be able to say along with the psalmist from Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my God and my Redeemer. So in chapter 3, we're going to look at the warning that not many should become teachers. Look at three different tangible, visible illustrations of the powerful effect that the tongue can have. The untamed nature of the tongue in verses 7 to 8. The instability of the tongue in 9 to 12. And then speak about the tongue as being instruments for God's glory. The opening verse is a verse that anyone in my position or anybody who has any teaching role in the Christian sphere knows very well. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And when James says we will judge, he recognises himself as a teacher that in everything that he does, everything he teaches will be judged with the greater strictness. Now what James is saying, he's not saying he wants fewer teachers. He's not saying that teachers are a bad thing, we don't want teachers. After all, when you read through Paul in Ephesians, he says, no, the church, the church were given prophets, apostles, evangelists, shepherds and teachers. For what purpose? For the building up of the church. That it might attain unity and maturity. Also in Romans 10, he speaks about how faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word. How will people hear unless someone goes and if someone preaches and teaches to them? James doesn't want less teachers but he does want the right teachers. He wants those who have that important role to be the right people both in motive, in character and in maturity, lest their words might be discredited by their actions, lest their words might lead a great many astray. People do go into teaching ministries for wrong motive, they realise you get attention. You have influence. Some people just thrive on the respect and the honour of the position. They like having authority. In other words, they recognise that the words that a teacher speaks have a significant impact on others. And for anyone who has any form of teaching role in the Christian sphere that should weigh very heavily on your heart. What you say, people listen to. You could train people in such a way that guides them and points them towards Jesus. But if you mishandle God's word, you could do a disastrous effect leading them away from Jesus. You want the right people, people who are qualified, 
By qualified, I don't mean necessarily a formal piece of paper, but someone who can rightly handle the word of truth. Someone who honours God, who honours his word. And when I say teacher, I don't just mean someone who gets up the front on a Sunday morning and gives a sermon. Any form of Christian teaching, whether it be in a church setting, or be outside of church setting, within a Bible study setting. Why are they judged with greater strictness? Because words have power. And if you are speaking in a way that has a powerful impact upon people with regards to God and his word, you better make sure you honour it. Think of the way which Paul spoke to the Corinthians. Having spoken initially of the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, he says, Now if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built upon the foundation survives, he will receive award. But if anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, for he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Because teaching is important. There's a reward for faithful teaching. There is great loss for unfaithful teaching. So not many should desire to be a teacher, A, because of the stricter judgment, B, because of the implications of the effect that it has on others, And C, because all of us are subject to weakness in the way we use our words. James says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. Now, as he says that, he's not saying that the goal of life is to bridle your tongue, because if you do that, everything will fall into place. He's given the example, say the person who can do that is a perfect man, a way of saying that nobody can do that. There is, there is no perfect man other than, I suppose, Jesus. Even the godliest of teacher is aware that they are profoundly affected by sin. They will confess at times they have used their words in a way that they shouldn't have. And given that all stumble in our speech, one who speaks on behalf of God from his word to many better take very careful watch of what he says. Of all sins, James says this is one who applies to everybody. So if you live, you've got a heartbeat, you stumble in the things that you say. Some more so than others, some in more areas, some areas more than others. Could be something like swearing, gossiping, slander, resentment, lies, deceit. If you don't stumble in any area of speech, you're a perfect man, which is none of us. Sometimes even that area of gossip can work into churches, especially in the in the context of, I'm just telling you this so you can pray about it. 
or justified on the lines of, if only you knew what that person had done to me, then you'd accept why I can speak so bitterly about them. The rules don't change with the circumstances. But to show the danger of the tongue to the whole person, James gives three vivid examples. The bit in a horse's mouth, the rudder on a ship, and a spark that can work its way into a wildfire. And the case in every single one of those examples is something which is small, but has a very large and widespread effect. But before looking at those examples, I want to address the misunderstanding of verse 2. Some have seen those words, if someone can control the tongue, they can control the whole body. They've decided that the primary Christian pursuit, therefore, must be to control their tongue. That somehow by doing that, everything else will fall into line. The thing is, we can't. What Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 12, it says, Out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. Our problem isn't so much our mouth, but our heart. Our mouths are nothing more than a reflector of, of what we love, what we ponder, and what we pursue deep down. The problem's the heart. It's the heart that needs to be addressed. But even in our three examples, the primary driving force isn't the small thing. It merely directs the primary driving force. But it has a widespread impact. Firstly, the bit in a horse's mouth. Horses are strong. They are very strong. Sometimes if someone said, can I take your dog for a walk? I would say, you'd better be really strong if you think you're going to pull, take our dog for a walk. You try and do that with a horse. If a horse doesn't want to go somewhere, you are not going to outpower it. You can carry big loads on a horse. They can pull heavy things along. But you can put a child on them. They've got a bit in their mouth. A little kid can direct that horse and they go wherever the kid directs them. Something so little as that. It's like the words we speak can take that great power and just point it in the wrong direction and can widespread in whatever way we point it. Or secondly, in verse 4, the rudder on a massive ship. In comparison to the size of a ship, the rudder is such a tiny little bit. But it's what steers the whole thing in a particular direction. Or to use a more familiar example, a steering wheel in a semi-trailer. Same idea, small instrument, Moves the whole thing. But between the second and third examples, in verse 5, there's a reminder the tongue boasts great things. James is bringing to our attention the tongue can do mighty things, both for good and for evil. Not just for evil, it can also do things, major things, for good and for evil. Just like a rudder or a bitten horse can steer something in the right direction or the wrong direction, so the words we can speak can point someone in the right direction or wrong direction. 
the passage encourages us to use it for good. The only negative example is the spark that leads to a, to a massive bushfire. Because we can speak words that lead a person to the Saviour. We can speak words that bring a person from spiritual death to life. But we can also speak words that have catastrophic damage. The old kids saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Isn't always true. The wounds from the sticks and stones can, can heal quite quickly. Harsh words can linger for a very long period of time. And the third example of the spark that sets a whole forest ablaze in verses 5 to 6 is one such example of a damaging effect. Within our country, we see a lot of bushfires and often they are caused by something as little as a spark. For example, the Black Saturday fires down in Victoria, a lot of those were believed to have been started by power lines or by transformers sparking and then you see the massive catastrophic impact that it had. When we lived in Mafra in Victoria in 2013, there was a fire that started from lightning during the night by the time we went down to have a look, it was about, probably about five hours later, it's travelled 80 kilometres. And that was the view from down the end of our street. It can happen very quickly from something really small. The way James describes the tongue is probably stronger than in any other picture in the Bible. He describes it as being a whole world of unrighteousness. And when you think about any horrific events that have happened in this world, you'll see how they are directed by words of an individual. Whether it be a dictator saying it's one thing or whatever it is, you see how one person's words can steer a whole nation or a whole movement in a direction either for good or for evil. But James says it can affect the whole life and set on fire by hell. As in other words, the words that we speak that can have negative, evil intents, the very power of hell can cause that to spread and abound. And as a side note, just because it's there, I know a lot of you people like the Bible Project. They do some good resources but they are very wrong in how they handle this verse of saying hell is something that we create. The teaching on hell is not helpful at all. If what we speak is a reflection of our heart, and if our hearts are dwelling on things that are evil, the very power of hell can take that and use it to have catastrophic effects. Just think about some damage that you've probably seen at some point in your life in church environment that has happened from gossip, from slander, that might have just started from someone who thinks they are well-intentioned saying, I'm just going to bring this to you. Um, I just want you to pray about this situation that's happening in someone else's life or, or I think is happening in someone else's life. If you have a concern for somebody and their well-being, 
Your first point of call is to express that point concern to the person who is concerned. You are going to have much greater effect if your desire is to see that person restored to speak to the person who needs restoring rather than somebody else external to that situation. Because your good intended, we should pray about this, about this person, especially if it's found to be untrue, can cause great lasting damage and danger. The tongue boasts great things, both good and evil. If he says that evil things can be set on fire by the power of hell, then words spoken according to the truth of God can be set on fire by the very power of heaven and God. By the one who has all power, rule and authority and even greater power for good. As we speak of his grace, his forgiveness, his encouragement, as we speak of the adoration of our God, the wonders of who he is, that it can have an even greater widespread impact. But even the godliest of all people must at all times be aware we are not perfect in this area. We've seen three examples Little things, the bit, the rudder, the spark, and what it can do. But if we need to be reminded of how difficult it is to control, we look at verses 7 to 8. Now, we've all probably at some point seen a video of, of people training wild animals. Whether it's that fun one where you've, you've trained a crocodile and you put your head in its mouth while its mouth's open like that. Not one I'll be trying anytime soon. Or they've got the lion or the tigers living in the house like you'd treat your cat or your dog. James says, man can tame even the fiercest of animals. And probably not overly surprised. We see that in Genesis 1, that uh, there was, mankind was supposed to subdue all creation of every kind. But he says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of of deadly poison. Now, when you first read that, you think, well, what's the whole point of this passage telling us to tame or bridle the tongue if it says no human being can do it? Well, what you might not pick up on the initial reading of that, as Augustine kind of clarifies the point, he says, he doesn't say that nobody can tame the tongue, but no one of men or of people, he's writing in all the time, so that when it was tamed, we confess that this is brought about by the pity, the help, and the grace of God. What James is illustrating is that mankind have been able to tame all sorts of animals by themselves, independent of God. They've just been able to do it. But he says, nobody can tame or bridle their tongue independent of God. It requires a supernatural intervening of God to transform us and to change us. This isn't the first time that God can do with the tongue what man can't. Think back to Moses in Exodus chapter 4. Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? 
And who has made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? The same God who has seen generously gives good gifts, every good and perfect gift, is the God who made your mouth, who made your tongue, who made every single part of you, has the power and the ability to transform every single one of those elements that he has made by his power, not by yours. Yes, we should be conscious about being more disciplined, but that effect is only going to be take place by the sovereign work of God. So if our tongue is naturally a restless evil full of poison, like we see here in James and also Romans 3, that's the natural use of the tongue. What about for us in the new creation? Well, to say you love God and use your words otherwise makes no sense. The things we speak has been the undoing of many Christians who have failed to be slow to speak, who haven't taken time to listen, to receive the implanted word. James puts himself as amongst those to whom we need to think about. He says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. James is already clear that all of us stumble in our speech. Born again people, James included, me included, all of us included, can use that instrument which God has given us for his glory, either for its most wonderful and noble purposes or for its lowest purposes. We could use it to to bless God, to speak well of him, to declare of his wonder and his glory. Or from the same mouth, we are capable of using it to curse people who are made in the image of God. Curse doesn't mean to to swear at them, but to to wish and to speak as though evil would, you'd like to see evil to come upon them. James like, that doesn't make sense. How can you praise God on one hand, yet speak and desire bad outcomes for people who are made in his image? And that's not just fellow Christians. That's even the person who's wronged you. Even the person who might have done a great wrong against you. Because it makes no sense, brothers and sisters, to speak praises of God, but to speak words of condemnation, of cursing of a people made in the image of God. These two things shouldn't come out of the same mouth. One's got to go. And the one that's got to go is cursing those made in the image of God. Why? Why would you speak evil of people that God has made in his image? Gives three examples of why it just doesn't make sense. You can't have a spring that does fresh and salt water. Trees can't do figs and not olives or grapes and figs. 
Salt ponds don't produce fresh water. The point is, if you are a new creation in Christ, use the instruments that God has given you for his praise, for his glory. Use it to speak words of truth, righteousness and holiness. He has given you your mouth. He has redeemed the whole, the whole body. We are created to be instruments for God's glory. Not only is the tongue a powerful weapon, it's a revealer of our hearts. The goal of this passage isn't to remind us to restrain what comes out of our mouth, but rather it would be transformed in the inner person that we'd be transformed at our heart level, that we can naturally open the floodgates and let the good that God has worked within our hearts overflow, spill out of our mouth, have a dramatic effect on those who are around us. But knowing that everyone struggles with the way in which we use our words, we need to be slow to speak. When we're provoked, when we're tired, When we're stressed, our natural defences aren't as good as they normally are. We need to be slow to speak. To take every thought captive. To think, is this praising God? Is this God honouring? Or am I going to choose in this moment to curse the people who are made in his image? We can give him thanks there. We can bring that misuse because we've all stumbled. Ask him for forgiveness. For our gossip, for our slander, for our complaining, whatever it is. And he is faithful and just. But as we recognise the power that our words can have, we should pray, God, Not only transform my heart, but use this mouth that you have created for your glory. Use it to speak words of life. That it might declare the wonders of our God. That I might declare something of his glorious nature. Of what he has done to redeem a people from every tribe, tongue and nation. And may that spread like a wildfire, not only in Toowoomba, but around this world. Sparking a revival and renewal in all people made in his image. In Acts 19, we see a picture where people realise that they are not the person they used to be. Where they burnt all of their books that belonged to their former life. And for us, as we continue to put off the old self, may that include us bridling our tongue that it may be said in us and in our midst, so the word of the Lord continue to increase and prevail mightily. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we are sometimes not only quick to speak, but because of our quickness, we are often very careless in the things that we say. We are careless in things that we say. 
whether it be out of our own hurt, we want to say things that might hurt another. And we ask your forgiveness and your transformation that we might not respond in that way. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. Lord, help us to drink deep from the wells of your word. Let us be deep people of prayer that our hearts might be so transformed by who you are, your wonder, your splendor, your glory, that we cannot help but speak of you. And that the words that we speak are that in accordance with your truth, that you might use and take those words to transform a town, a state, a nation and a world that people of every tribe, tongue and nation might know something of the God who saves, even through little small, seemingly insignificant vessels such as ourselves. Guard us from using our tongues for the wrong purpose, but transform our hearts that we might speak words of life and blessing. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.